0: Season 2. Today we're chatting with Sarah Boyd, a nurse practitioner at Piedmont Reproductive Endocrinology Group in South Carolina. Sarah's going to discuss with us third-party reproduction, so topics such as egg donation, sperm donation, and gestational carriers. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for being on with us. Um, If you want to kind of tell listeners how you got into the field um, of reproductive endocrinology, I know that's like a specialized, specialized, specialized field. Yeah. So that would be wonderful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did my graduate program in nursing in New York City. Um, when I went into it initially, I wanted to work in oncology. That was, I wanted to work in women's health oncology. Um, both of my grandmothers died from breast cancer. So that was like my goal. I wanted to work with breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, you name it type patients. Um, and then I started actually doing clinical rotations and realized how emotionally draining it was. Um, and I actually started working with one of the nurses at Sloan Kettering, who counsels patients on fertility preservation prior to cancer treatment. Um, so I met with her a couple times, and then ended up doing my capstone project on fertility preservation prior to cancer treatment, and. Um, Then, you know, met the folks at RMA of New York, the physicians there. Um, But that's kind of how I initially got interested in this field. Um, And then kind of right out of grad school, I started working there. I was actually hired as a nurse at first because they didn't have any positions opening. And then they created my position as a third party um, nurse practitioner. So, I've actually been working in the third party field since I started um, working in this field, and it's been about nine years now. It'll be nine years in January. Wow. Yeah. That is
2: so cool. And I, I know Kat and I have mentioned before, but we never have heard it called third party reproduction. That's, yeah, that's a term that we're not familiar <laughs> with. So,
1: it's relatively new. I honestly can't remember when people started using it, but it helps to encompass kind of all the things that we do, right? So, we, Work with all those patients that require a third party in order to become pregnant, in order to conceive. Um, So, same-sex male couples that need both an egg donor and a gestational carrier. Um, You know, heterosexual couples that need an egg donor and gestational care. I mean, the combinations are kind of endless. Um, And that's what I love about my job is every day is something different you know, it's always a new patient that I um, get presented with by the physician um, that has a, a new case. And sometimes it's unique to me, even even now, sometimes I still get, um, you know, cases that I haven't worked with before. Um, but it's really, it's exciting to be able to, you know, help them to conceive and navigate um, the third party realm. Because, you know, a lot of times patients come to me and They've gone through treatments, they've been to different centers that you know, they've, they've been through it all. Um, and so it's really nice to be the end stop at their journey and, and having them, you know, walk away pregnant. So
0: yeah, yeah you I really, touched, really enjoy it. I bet you touched on so many things that I was just thinking of when you mentioned, you know, like third party reproduction. They've already been through the tree. They've been through the ringer of infertility. And now they're saying, okay, what are our, what are some other alternative ways? And I like how you touched on the navigation piece. So mm-hmm. I guess for listeners, and it's going to be different, like you said, like every case is just so, so different. Um, could you kind of walk through what, like, let's say, like a sample patient would look like in your field of third party, sure. and, and kind of how you navigate for for those? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I touched upon a little bit about um, those patients that need, um, you know, both egg donors additional carriers. Like I said, it can be any combination. Um, but I would say my most common case that I work with is a patient that you know, has tried on their own. They they've done everything. They've tried natural conception. They've tried IUI treatments, you know, not signed intercourse, IVF even. Um, and it's just their ovaries are not functioning properly. And and really a lot of times what I love is that physicians will be very honest with them and, you know, they don't want them to go through futile treatment where there's a huge emotional cost and there's a huge financial cost. Like we don't want patients to be putting their resources towards something that just isn't going to be successful. Um, so they come to me, you know, typically needing an egg donor to conceive. I would say that's the majority of my patients. They're they're going to be carrying the pregnancy on their own. Um, and what we do when initially, I, I kind of try to, to give them as much information as I can without overwhelming them because they've already spoken with the physician Generally my first meeting is not the same day that the physician brings up the topic of of needing an egg donor. Generally I'll reach out to them a little bit later and and kind of let them know cuz there's are there are so many options um for you know receiving donor eggs. Um you can go through fresh program. We happen to have an in-house fresh donor program here at Prague. Um you can use frozen donor eggs. Um that that realm has over the past definitely even few years, and um, there's a lot of wonderful egg banks out there that we work with. Um, the patients can go online and look at donor profiles, and, and eggs can be shipped our, to our clinic in a matter of weeks. Um, and then also sometimes people use a known egg donor, someone you know that's known to them that's within a good age range. Um, we'll do an initial fertility workup to make sure they're a good candidate. Um, course, there's legal and, and psych involved with that. Um, but that's another option. And then the last option would be to use an agency. Um, so there are, they're kind of like recruitment agencies. So they work to find donors from all over the country. Um, and, you know, patients work directly with them. They, we monitor the donor, do all their like screening and everything, make sure and that's all done appropriately. Sometimes we'll even start the stimulation wherever they live. And then they come here, you know, kind of partway through the stimulation cycle and then have their retrieval. Um, so yeah, there's, a, it's a lot. There's a oh, lot yeah. of options for people. Yeah.
2: Which is great though. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, I, that's one of the things that I really love is just like, and that's what I tell people all the time. Like, you have options. You have so many options. It's 2022. Like there's probably things that you didn't even think about. Um, and yeah it's it's really rewarding
0: yeah it sounds like it and I think that's really unique probably a preg that they will just take um they will like take anything from an outside like party or whatever in terms of yeah is that common yeah see because it wasn't the common third, when I was concerned yeah, I, I was having a the hard time you really couldn't do it
1: do you mean using like an, an agency egg donor? or Yeah,
0: or just like not having like that, the patient isn't of Craig, right? So having, being able to have those eggs shipped in or embryos shipped in.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, when we started doing vitrification, it's even been like a couple years prior to me starting when it became FDA approved to, to freeze eggs. I think it was kind of actually right when I was um, starting in the field. Um, since then, you know, there, there was one egg bank and now there, I mean, we work with seven egg banks alone,
2: wow. um, and
1: there's more out there. So yeah, it's, it's really special and, you know, it's, um, accessible to patients. Um, prices, I feel like, you know, are starting to become a little bit more reasonable, um, there's also, you know, third-party insurance companies now that are working with a lot of companies that actually provide donor benefits and and benefits for, for purchasing donor eggs. So, so speaking really on fortunate. the
0: price piece, we've heard it from patients, but you live it all day long. Um, are there multiple choices? I mean, from my understanding, in terms of egg donation, they typically mm-hmm. come in set numbers right like 6 right. or 12 could you kind of touch on the financial piece of that
1: yeah and i do i actually do try to stay away a little bit from that just because it changes so much and i you know keep up with all the, the clinical aspects of everything um i would say on average you know a what they call a, a lot or a cohort of frozen eggs is generally like 6 to 8 eggs that you receive um pricing can range from I've seen like 15,000 up to on up. I mean, it can go higher than that. Um, each, egg bank has their own just their own pricing and kind of their own packages. And then, of course, there's fees involved at the clinic because we're going to be doing your ultrasounds in your labs. We're going to be thawing those eggs, fertilizing them, doing the embryo transfer. So we have our own fees as well. Um, and then even with our in-house fresh program, we do have different tiers kind of for pricing. Um, so we have... Um, three different levels, you know we receive a specific amount of eggs at a minimum um, so, so to make yeah, that I guess a,
0: a, yeah so to make that a clinical question because you answer that perfectly. what <laughs> would that I mean so do you what would that look like when a patient comes to you? do you help recommend like, hey, I think you should do six or eight or what does that success rate look like with egg donation?
1: Sure. so the success rate with egg donation um, I mean we're generally looking at, Probably about a 50 to 60% pregnancy rate per transfer. Um, So I always ask people, and and the physicians actually usually ask before before I even start talking to them, um, you know, what's your family building goals? Are you in a new relationship and you're looking to add one child to your family because you both have children from previous relationships? Are you guys just starting out and, you know, you wanna have at least one child, maybe the option for two? If you want to go for that third child. So sometimes I'll recommend to patients to even purchase a couple, if they're doing frozen eggs, a couple of egg lots, Um, just because, you know, generally we look for fertilization at around, let's say at least 60% of those, maybe more like 70% of those um, eggs will become embryos. Um, We're now seeing, I, I feel like the quality of the eggs has improved because the Course, you know there's so much research in our field, and um, we're starting to not give, especially our egg donors, quite as much medication, um, because we're looking for more quality eggs. It's actually, more um, medication has been shown to even, you know, re- result in like poor egg quality. Um, so, I find that our success rates in terms of like thawing the eggs, most eggs are surviving the thaw, and then a majority of those are fertilizing. Um, generally, we we would see like one to two blastocysts embryos per six frozen eggs, I would say. Um, I would say that's kind of like the average.
0: That's awesome. that That I makes know. me feel better. I feel about- those
2: are good numbers.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say my numbers. I got nine eggs and I ended up with one one uh, blast. So I was like, okay, that's kind of <laughs> kind of yeah. in route. So it's so tough. It is so. I mean, that's all. So, do you do you mostly see? That's what you're saying. You mostly see like the donor eggs. Do you work with couples for donor sperm? Is that still considered third-party reproduction?
1: You know, um, it kind of is, and it kind of is. It with donor sperm. Um, our fertility nurses and our IVF nurses also work with those patients. Um, just because it is, I feel like it's a lot more commonplace these days, you know, we see a lot of patients, even, you know, heterosexual couples that need donor sperm. um, And sperm makes it been around for a really long time. So it's a lot kind of easier to just go ahead, go online and order (laughs) sperm. Um, I think the biggest thing that we talk about is like genetic carrier screening compatibilities and making sure that um, wherever those eggs are coming from and wherever those sperm are coming from, that they've had genetic carrier screening. Um, To make sure that, you know, they're not a carrier for the same genetic disease that there's been counseling. Um, So yeah, I would say a lot of like the IVF nurses and um, fertility nurses handle if a patient just is using donor sperm, then then they would still handle um, that case.
2: Now, because I obviously went through embryo adoption myself, that would be my next question. Would that be considered third party? Like, is that under that umbrella? It
1: is. It definitely is. And, you know, not every clinic has an embryo adoption. I actually prefer the term um, embryo donation a donated embryo okay,
2: coming from okay someone from like a professional standpoint i constantly like say adoption and i go through both and fun. i know that the term is like interchangeable yeah. but i am curious just like from your point of view like the donation piece
1: yeah you know i see it as a donation um i see person, you know adoption as you know adopting a child but i you know i feel like it just depends on on a person's perspective we're open to calling it, you know, whatever a patient feels comfortable calling it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially you're receiving a donated embryo. Um, I think, you know, sometimes the way I look at it and, and the way I explain it to patients is, you know, a seed is not a tree, right? So you're receiving a seed to hopefully become a tree, but without that maternal environment, you know, it can't become a living, breathing human being. So Um, But yeah, I mean, we definitely use those terms interchangeably. Um, I would say, you know, there's both outside um, embryo donation organizations and unique to Prague, we have our own um, in-house de-identified embryo donation program, which is really, really great, you know, especially for those couples where um, they have these embryos left, they've completed their family, but they're at a loss what do I don't want to just discard these embryos, you know, I don't necessarily feel comfortable donating them to research, although that's a great option as well. Um, And so we do allow them to donate them anonymously or de-identified anonymity is kind of impossible in in this age. Um, So we call it de-identified. And then, you know, we have patients that get on our wait list to receive those donated embryos. Um, And we can match patients, you know, in about six to 12 months um, for receiving one. So
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So you started in this field nine years ago. Have you seen embryo donation, embryo adoption skyrocket?
1: Yes. And it's great because, you know, a big problem in um, the fertility field is there are so many embryos, eggs, sperm, just sitting in tanks across the country. Um, A lot of times some of them are abandoned. Like it's, it's a big problem. So I would love to see even more of these programs, um, you know, come to light in different clinics, you know, across the country. I feel like people are starting to do it a lot more. Um, but yeah, especially here at Prague, you know, we see it a lot. Um, and it's also, you know, for patients that have been through treatment and they are kind of reaching the end of their financial resources, it's a more affordable option, um, you know, for going through treatment.
2: I have a question just cause I'm curious. Cause I, from my point of view, like for our family, I never even like thought of egg donor. Mm-hmm. I just went straight to like an embryo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, is there a way that you describe it to families that are just like coming in and they're like, okay, okay. This is now an option. And like, would you go first to the egg donor before you go to embryo donation? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. Um, it? I mean, generally, the doctor will be the first one to kind of present that information, and we do lay out all options. Um, You know, both are great for someone that, you know, still wants to carry the pregnancy. They still want, you know, their body to make that baby. Um, But with using an egg donor, there's still, you know, a genetic link to one parent if they're using the sperm from their partner, if it's a heterosexual couple. Um, So, you know we do present both options and it's really kind of personal preference um i even have patients sometimes they're like well if if the child's not you know necessarily genetically linked to one person we don't you know we don't want it to be genetically linked to just one person like we want it to
2: so yeah, yeah. That that's was Amanda's wife. I was like, yeah, yeah so uh-huh. if it's got my genes, it's not your genes either. Sorry.
1: Right, right. And so, yeah, we do see people are like, you know, we don't want a genetic link to either of us. But there are people that still, you know, in that instance, they'll use donor sperm and donor eggs because they want to pick out their donors. Um, oh, so it really I comes know. down to like personal preference. I, guess.
0: I never, that was the first time I've ever thought of using donor egg and sperm. And it yes. is very a unique. It's a, would be a very unique embryo mm-hmm. oh. you can pick pieces of it. That, I mean, that's pretty I cool. I love that. Yeah. That's super interesting. Okay. That just threw me off my next question. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like, okay. That's what it was. And this is, and I mean, maybe you don't have an answer to this, but so in my situation, and I know we have a handful of listeners that have gone through reoccurrent miscarriage that has mm-hmm. been unexplained. Like I never had a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so for me, um, Amanda had this beautiful story of embryo donation adoption. And I was like, gosh, I would love to carry a pregnancy. But I mean, how would you even um, counsel a patient? And maybe that's, you know, the the REI, maybe that's the person doing that. But would that be a good option for somebody that had had reoccurrent miscarriage?
1: Yeah, I mean, it potentially could be because, you know, a lot of times in those cases, if there's not a, you know, Standard kind of, okay. This is the conclusion. This is what's going on. A lot of cases are unexplained when it comes to recurrent loss. Um, A lot of times, sometimes there's an underlying egg issue that they're not able to detect um, or underlying sperm issue. You know, um, yes, donor egg is recommended in a lot of those cases or using a donated embryo where we know, you know, that kind of cohort or the egg and sperm source have created a healthy baby. Um, so, yeah, I think that that would be, you know, a good option. Or um, I actually personally was an unexplained uh, recurrent loss patient um, and we had frozen embryos when we were engaged just because I work in the field. It was available to me. I feel extremely blessed that that is the case. Um, and so we actually conceived my daughter through an embryo who was donated from my younger self. Um, oh, so, that's, oh, that that is beautiful. Cool. yeah, so it started out as an insurance policy just because I did have, you know, kind of an elevated FSH when I was younger. And so that's when, you know, the physicians I work with, are kind of like, you should do this, you know, it's available to you, just, just do it. So I did have to do a couple of IVF cycles. Um, to create a few healthy embryos. We did testing on them as well. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I think that 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 definitely is a good option, you know, for those patients. And that's kind of what what my physician at the time recommended. Like, listen, you have a genetically normal, you know, chromosomally normal embryo. Let's try that. You know, we're obviously what we're doing is not working. So,
0: (laughs) right. That's, that was my, like, my, my, um, statement like whatever we're doing is not working we need to to move into something different here
1: yeah for your sanity yeah (laughs) and for the physician's sanity because it's I mean I think you know we as providers and I mean I'm not a provider but our you know as clinicians we get just as frustrated you know when there's no answers um so yeah I mean I think definitely switching gears and doing something different, you know, maybe even sometimes at a certain point, you know, getting a second opinion is a healthy thing. Um, You know, we would never discourage a patient from doing that. If, um, you know, we've kind of exhausted all of our treatment options, and maybe they're not ready to move on um, to using an egg donor or donated embryo. Um, I think you always have to kind of see, you know, get another perspective. I, think that that's I love idea. that. Prague was actually
0: my second opinion. So yeah. that was a wonderful <laughs> wonderful experience for me. And you really right. touched on the timeline. Um, I'm specific to Prague, of course, like the six to 12 months. And Amanda's touched on timeline before in previous episodes. She, I don't know if you're aware,
2: Sarah, she went through Facebook. I got, yeah. And I adopted three, all and through like, Facebook. And like um, sounds sketchy, but it's it worked and it's
1: real. <laughs> So it was it was a directed, so it was known. So you're are you in, you're in contact?
2: So I had no idea who the person was at the time. Now it's like an open and yeah. we like constantly send like update pictures and stuff like that. And we know his like biological siblings and yeah. it's open like adoption for us. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. I had no idea who she was. It was through Facebook. Like I, I joined an embryo donation adoption support group mm-hmm. and just like posted on there. And then a woman reached out to me, which is that's
1: amazing. I mean, that's again, that's just, you know, again, options, um, you know, we're able to be so connected these days. I've had a lot of patients that have um, found a gestational carrier that way, yeah. you know, through support groups on Facebook. Um, of course, there are. <laughs> you never really know, but I I do hear actually more success stories than I hear, you know, more, the more alternative. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you yeah, I mean, you actually just like alluded into what I wanted to talk. I know, about right? <laughs> so, so so for me personally, that's where I was going was towards the gestational carrier, and I'd love mm-hmm. to hear from a clinical or a clinic standpoint the difference between gestational carrier and surrogacy or if mm-hmm. that's just terms again like donation versus adoption um, but for me I kept thinking what's well, my body because all of our all of our losses were genetically tested embryos that were normal. Yeah. Um, so I was like what's going on so if you could touch on that and kind of your mm-hmm. experience over the years of, of what that looks like and maybe even how it's changed
1: Sure. So um, traditional surrogacy would is something that we do not do anymore um, because of the legal implications and the psychological implications. It's when um, a woman is using her egg and her body to create the pregnancy with the intended parent's sperm or their donor's sperm. Um, so the woman who's carrying the pregnancy has a genetic link to the baby. Um. So that's that's not really done anymore, so that's where the gestational carrier term comes because there's no genetic link um you know, the intended parents, it's their embryo, whether it was from donor egg, donor sperm, their own egg, their own sperm combination of both um. But, but yes, I think, you know, there were probably legal cases and situations that occurred, um, and so they stopped doing traditional surrogacy. We still have patients that ask about it because they have, you know, a friend or or relative that that wants to be a traditional surrogate for them. Um, There may still be clinics that do it, but... But it definitely becomes very messy, like I said, both psychologically and legally.
0: Yeah. And, and I know, and I was familiar with that. And so just kind of out of curiosity, so historically, sur- surrogacy, would that almost look like an IUI? Would that?
1: I think know? that that's what they used to do. Oh, you yes.
0: can even
2: think of it like that. That's so true since it's their own. That's, yeah.
0: Okay. Why would you do that? So a gestational carrier, just for our listeners, is really... The gestational carrier and they go through the second half of IVF, like the transfer process of the intended parents, um, egg and sperm. Okay. Neat.
2: That's like the easiest way that I describe to people who don't know IVF or like know of embryo adoption or anything for my own case. I'm like, I basically was like, well, I would say surrogate, but now that makes more sense. Now I know the real term, but like gestational carrier of a baby that I get to keep. That's like yeah. the easiest way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. Okay. So moving into gestational carrier again, I think, I think, and I could be wrong, but it's l- most of the time, the most expensive option.
1: Yeah, that's correct. It is I feel it like is. the
2: last option you offer people. Usually you kind of go through like egg first and like, then kind of work your way to
1: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, some patients, I mean, that's their only option with our same sex male couples, of course, Um, But yes, I mean, a lot of people don't realize everything that goes into it. So um, from start to finish, we have to review a carrier's medical records from their previous pregnancies. They have to have had a successful, uneventful previous delivery. Um, And then they have a physician consultation, a full medical screening appointment, psychological screening, um, their partner has STD testing, and then their partner, if they have one, is also involved in the psychological screening. So usually it's the intended parents, the gestational carrier, their partner separately, and then everyone together in a group session. Once that has been worked out, and generally during actually the psych appointment is when, you know, the clinician will start bringing up, okay, if there's something wrong with the fetus that's compatible with life but you know they may die shortly after delivery you know we all know that there's, there's tons of different um, complications that can occur you know what's going to happen they have to kind of go through all of those worst case scenarios to make sure the gestational carrier and the intended parents are all on the same page um and then a lot of that's written into the legal contract so it's generally like the last piece um so if you add all of that up and then the fertility treatment I mean, a lot of times with carrier. you're looking at you know, like $85,000 um, all in, just depending on the the region that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely very, very expensive.
0: Yeah. So, and then let me ask you this. So we were um, really lucky to record last week, was it, Amanda? Maybe the week before. Um a woman had used a gestational carrier. She actually did an IVF transfer at the same time and they both got pregnant.
1: Wow. Um,
0: wow, yes. She has two, about eight weeks apart.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, and so one of the things she mentioned to us, and I don't know if you've seen this in your practice, but another um Um, requirement for her gestational carrier was that she was finished having kids um, based off of potential complications. And in their situation, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to share it because her episode will air first, but (laughs) you know, her in in that, in that situation, the gestational carrier did hemorrhage out and um, was very close to having a hysterectomy. So I didn't know if you've seen that, or is that kind of just per clinic? Maybe they, they say you should probably be done having your own children.
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably per clinic. Um, I would imagine, I would say a majority of the gestational carriers, um, are finished, you know, having their own children. And, and generally that's something that'll come up during the psychological consultation is, you know, what's going to happen if something goes wrong with you? Like, are you intending to have any more children? Um, but it's not necessarily a requirement, um, depending on the clinic, but definitely something to think about for sure. For, for people that are listening that, that are thinking about becoming a gestational carrier.
0: Absolutely. Um, Amanda, do you have any like other further questions about embryo donation before I kind of jump into the next thing?
2: No, 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 no. I think I mean you've answered it like really great and explained it well. So
1: good. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely it's it's so wonderful that that you know that's becoming more and more popular these days, and, and also that people are starting to talk about it. You know, you know it's like really talking it. about IVF and talking about that a lot, especially, you know, some of the celebrities doing IVF and going through their own stats. But um, I would love for people to start talking more about third-party reproduction, not just in the gestational carrier, but using an egg donor, using a donated embryo. Um, hopefully in the coming years, you know, people will start talking about it more.
0: With that said, that's what I was gonna ask you. Um, you know, going to conferences or just being in the field, like, is there any exciting, uh, you know, exciting new innovations coming up with third-party reproduction? Like looking into the future, or really, it's that embryo donation and adoption that's getting getting some fuel.
1: Yeah, I would say that, and and really using frozen eggs. I think that that really is you know kind of the future. Um, is a majority of patients using frozen donor eggs just because. Um, you know, you have those eggs, you know that they're there. Um, Because when using a fresh donor, you know, even though it's still widely used, um, it can be very challenging. The donor can mess up on her medication, she cannot stop start medications on time, she could flake out, she could have a positive STD testing right before she's starting stimulation. The stimulation could not go well, you know, just because she's young, healthy and fertile doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be you know, successful. So there's a lot of factors like that that some patients just want to avoid. Um, so I see a lot more patients using frozen donor eggs in the future.
0: And, and I think, you know, and you could speak better to this, but cryopreservation in 2022 is rampant compared to maybe 10 years ago. I think a Mm -hmm. lot more, a lot more females feel empowered to say, Hey, I'm 28, 30 to 35. And I don't have, I haven't met a partner and I'm going to freeze my egg. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that frozen egg bank is also going to just keep going up and up in volume.
1: Yeah. So people freezing eggs um, definitely, you know, for their own, you know, future insurance policy um, is definitely on the rise, especially once egg freezing came FDA approved, you know, nine, 10 years ago, whenever that was. Um, yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I think that there, I've heard that there are organizations that are working with patients that want to, um, you know, freeze their own eggs or donate. Um, with our in-house program, after a certain number of donations, we do, you know, allow donors to freeze eggs as well, um, as a benefit to being an egg donor. So I see a lot of that kind of intertwining.
2: That's really interesting. That's awesome.
0: So what would you have to share kind of, as we wrap up with some listeners that may be considering third-party reproduction, do you have any, you know, insight or tips or just advice for, for those types of patients?
1: You know, I would say go in with an open mind, um, you know, just listen to the options that are available. Um, I have a lot of patients that, you know, of course, it's an emotional journey. You know, like I talked about earlier, I, I went through, you know, fertility issues myself. And um, I, a lot of times people act with their emotions and are like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like if, if I can't have, you know, quote unquote, my own baby. I'm not, I'm not going to pursue treatment. And then they come back around a couple months later, and okay, I'm open, you know, to hearing what the options are. So just being open to that. And also keeping in mind, you know, um, your body is still creating that baby, there's a whole field of epigenetics about how the maternal environment turns on certain gene markers. And, um, you know, you have that connection where um, you're feeling that baby move, you know, being able to experience pregnancy, I think is, um, just such a wonderful privilege, and um, yeah, just having an open mind and, and learning about all the options that are available. Um, so I think a lot of times people just kind of close off when um, the physician gets to the point of, of talking about, you know, donor egg, donor embryo.
2: That's so great. Well, thank you so much. That was perfect. And we really appreciate you explaining third party reproduction to us and to all of our listeners. So thanks so much for being on with us.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for
2: having me. (laughs)